afternoon and welcome to Books in the Biz. We're here for another episode with my friend Rich Veltre. Rich, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I am doing wonderful. Things are all good over on the East Coast. <laughs> trying to be. Trying to stay above trying water. To be. <laughs> <laughs> you're it's trying pouring. to stay above it's water. Pouring. We're trying to get water here, so you're welcome to send some of it back west if you want. Um, but I'll yeah, send it's, it up there. That's all right. Yeah, I need to park my car for a couple days anyway, so that's good. Uh, but hey, you know, this was actually a subject that you had brought up to me. I thought it was going to be a pretty good one. Uh, we're going to talk about employees again. Uh, but more importantly, we're going to talk about virtual work and how that was all the rage just a, a few, yeah. uh, almost short months ago, not even years ago. I think even last year they were still talking about how the office is over Everyone's going to work from home. Life is good. Utopia, utopia, utopia is perfect. And now where are we at? <laughs> yeah, now I think that uh, we're back in topsy-turvy land with everything kind of thrown up in the air. And, you know, what, what's going to happen? You know, what's the, what's the end result going to be? It's, yeah, I, I mean, I pretty well, I already had a home office, so I'm used to working from here anyway. I definitely travel less than I used to, um, though people are now starting to welcome you back into their offices. I mean, for many, you know, for since what, 2020 anyway, uh, people didn't want to see me, especially the folks I work with in healthcare. They could care or couldn't care less. Get it right. Couldn't care less. I actually show up on their doorstep because I become a liability the moment I walk in if I'm carrying something on me, in me that I'm not supposed to. But um, the world has kind of turned around. And you, uh, just before we, we hit the record button, you, you brought up a very interesting subject, which was... Yeah, that even Zoom is calling people <laughs> back to the office at least two days a week. <laughs> so zoom so the place that made how much money on on everyone getting out of work as their people going back yeah. to the office <laughs> and they they probably were the biggest winner uh if there was a winner but it, they probably were the biggest winner in the pandemic in getting their you know services out to the public um and then now it's just a it's a completely different story for them uh, stock price went into, I think, the 500s, and now it's back down to, you know, down to earth. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they're looking at it as we have to do something else now because that was our that was our pandemic bump, as we call it. Um, yes. But yeah, even even they're even they're calling their people back for at least two days a week and, and setting setting the standard for getting people back into their offices. Yeah, that seems to be the consistent thing. So while people might not be going back to the office full time, they are being required to at least split time between the office and, and work from home. And I guess, you know, we should probably kind of backtrack a little bit because, I mean, like I said, this was utopia. This was going to be the next big thing. I remember in 2020, 2021, uh, articles coming out about how much more productive employees were working from home, how, you know, there was no need to go into the office, uh, how this was going to, to save people, you know, save families 
thousands, tens of thousands and, and save employers because they weren't going to need as much office real estate as they did in the past. Uh, I know traveling down to Illinois, I've, I've got some friends down there. I visited uh, economic development outside of Schaumburg and we were driving by all the high rise office buildings. And he's like, yep, that one's half full. That was a third full. We're trying to figure out what to do with that one. Um, and this was this year yet. So this was the beginning of the year, but now we're seeing more and more companies saying, ah, we need you to come back. And I think that's a different, different approach than, than what most people were expecting. Now, what's been your experience out on the East coast? What are, are you typically seeing going on now? Um, some of the same, uh, I would say it's, it's definitely, uh, a lot more driving down the highway and you're looking at that building and you're saying, wow, there's nobody in there. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, everybody has their eye. I'm not that far from New York city, you know, right smack in the middle of Manhattan and everybody's had their eye on Manhattan because there's sort of a secondary player in this whole conversation. Right. And that is yep. that, you know, even the, even New York, they call it, I think I read it this morning that they called it, you know, shaky New York city office market. Um, but the other, the other thing that's added on top of that is you have the whole WeWork situation where they were the biggest landlord in Manhattan. And I think ah. they're, they, you know, he started that whole business in New York. So right. now they're talking about that one looking like it's not going to make it. So that's just going to give a whole nother set of, you know, a, a, a giant smack <laughs> to New York city. Um, so I think that that piece is just kind of secondary and not part of our conversation, but, but it's out there. And, you know, New York really handle all of this change. I don't think for it. Um, they should have been. I think they should have been. Because if, if we want to backtrack it, I mean, people were talking about hoteling and using lighter footprint or smaller footprint for all back 1997. Yep. Uh, I moved into a new office building with Price Waterhouse before they merged with Coopers. Mm -hmm. And I found it interesting. They finally figured out your auditors are never here. They're always at the client. Mm -hmm. So if they're at the client, they don't need a desk here. So right. the hoteling part came in and it became you know, a new way of thinking. And I think that this whole conversation comes down to this just needs to be a new line of thinking. Everybody has to think what's best for my business and how do we get this done? Maybe I don't need 40 floors in Manhattan at some ridiculous amount per square foot, you know, but somewhere along the line, people still have to be able to get together for certain projects or certain tasks. Yeah, I could definitely see that, you know, knowing how expensive real estate is out in New York, uh, where virtual office would should be a boon. It really should, because if you can minimize your office space, I mean, Gosh, what you guys are paying for rent out there. I was talking with my father-in-law the other day, and just even an efficiency apartment can go for, what, five grand a month? <laughs> you know, five grand a month in yeah. Wisconsin buys you a really yeah. nice mansion. <laughs> if, you can, if you can make it work out here, you'll, you'll do just fine. But, um, yeah. yeah, I think that was kind of some of, you know, where the utopia of a virtual office was coming in. You know, obviously we... We couldn't go anywhere because of of where things were at, uh, you know, health wise. So that's why people were staying at home. Um, and I do believe early on people were more productive because 
you didn't have to waste, you know, in most cases an hour. I don't know how, how much traveling you were doing when you were going downtown. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, most large cities just to get anywhere, even relatively close by takes 45 minutes to an hour to get there. I live out in the sticks. So for me to get to any city is going to take an hour to get there. Uh, you eliminate, you know, two hours of your day driving. It seems like that would save a lot of time and, and that would make you more productive. Uh, you know, I, your kids are older. Uh, my kids are still of, I have one still of school age, but I do believe a lot of families did also see more productivity because the kids were home. They didn't have to go to a daycare, which I don't know how expensive right. daycare is in New York City, but I'm pretty sure it's is quite pricey and it's it's not that cheap out yeah. here in the Midwest either. So if, if you're not having that extra expense, you can justify even if you're not making more money as you know inflation is increasing and everything else, you're still sitting pretty well here. Um, I think that all worked for a while. It, it actually worked pretty well. Mm-hmm. So my question to you is what changed? What do you see that changed on your end that all of a sudden people are saying, well, this doesn't really work as well as we thought. Um, I think, <laughs> okay. I have to be, I have to be the bad guy self that is coming out of my mouth. <laughs> Don't worry. I'll jump in and be the um, bad guy with you. I, I think there's, I think there's definitely, um, you know, you always have the small subset that will distract I'll call it distract for, for what I'm about to say. The, you know, there's a certain subset of people who are going to abuse the system. Uh, we see it everywhere, right? You saw it with right. PPP loans. We saw it with the, you know, employer, employer retention credit. You know, you're seeing all kinds of question marks over where did all this money go and who applied 10,000 times to get 10,000 different checks. <laughs> and, so you still have that kind of subset too of the people who, you know, hey, you know, we'll work from home and then nobody knows what they're doing because they're actually working two other jobs and they told two other people the same thing. So I think that's where I think we run into a little bit of problem of, you know, the employers are looking at it and they're questioning, are my people working? Now, I would probably tell you that 90% of them are working. Because 90% of them want the fact that this is great for me. I can get my work done at home. I'm home with my kid. I'm protected with, you know, the family being close. If something happens, I'm here. So the peace of mind that goes into what they have from being able to work at home translates into productivity and what they want to do for you from home. Because they want you to allow them to stay home. So so now... (laughs) The, the bad, I look at it as the bad subset is going to kind of disrupt and make it distracting for those people. So the, the 10% of the bad is going to make it more difficult for the 90% of the good. Um, I'm happy that I'm seeing more people thoughtfully thinking about how to do this rather than just saying Monday morning, be in my office. Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's be, even pull that up. So, um, you know, here's what we're seeing more articles on right now. And this is off SHRM, Society for Human Resource Management. Um, there is definitely a stronger push to bring people back. And I think we're seeing more, more and more stories, you know, sharing how to do it correctly. Or if you're going to split time, how to do it correctly. Didn't mean to, to cut you off there, but I think you were on to a good point. Is, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of... 
we had to do this or we were told we had to do this. And then a lot of companies obliged and, and did what they thought was best. And, and that led to people staying at home. But, you know, most companies are not designed for a virtual workspace. I mean, how yeah. you were at Pricewaterhouse and how was that? I mean, did, did you have to be in the office all the time or what made it so you had to be in the um, office all the time? That that's a great point. See, I think that Price Waterhouse, I have to give them a lot of credit when they designed that office, designing the hoteling. The hoteling was designed around the audit staff mm. because the audit staff would be out at the client, you know, having meetings, going through documents, doing their documentation that they had to do for the audit work. I was a tax guy at the time. So the tax return systems were all in the office. So computers were only, I don't know how old they were at that point. Um, you know, I came out of school and we were still carrying around these big box computers. You know, they weren't, you know, laptops like we have now. So by the time we got to, you know, 96, 97, when the, you know, when it became time to build out that office, um, the tax guys were still kind of expected to be in their, in their cubicles in their house. So the remote part for that was not as easy to move on to. Um, you know, eventually it got there. Um, but while I was still there, it was hoteling for the audit staff because the audit staff were only in the office so often, whether it was for a meeting or, you know, to go over certain, you know, work papers or, um, or something to that effect. So they would come in, they'd punch in their code in the little television screen on the, on the wall, which was amazing for 1995, <laughs> six. Um, and it would assign them a desk and it would route their phone calls. Their, their phone extension would be routed that to is that really desk good. for the debt. So that was early high, you know, that was high tech stuff for back then. Um, so I, like I said, I have to give them credit, but that was what I expect people should be doing at this point is evaluating you know, what works and what footprint do I really need and what technology can I put in to allow people to come in every so often, but then allow them to go and be able to set their own schedule. So what's the financial ramifications from this? So taking approach from the book side of things, how how is virtual office space good versus in person? What What do you typically see from a CFO side of things? Well, I will tell you this. Um, I really hope that WeWork sticks around. <laughs> um, I thought the concept of WeWork was great, other than the crazy stuff that the old owner did. Uh, sorry, I called it crazy, but it's I don't know what I don't know what it was. Luckily, I was just a tenant, so you know I went in. I had a desk. It was great because I was paying for a desk as opposed to paying for a floor. Right. You know, um, you were able to get a smaller footprint because he rented an entire building and then subbed it out to however many people. So from a fractional economy and a startup and a founder kind of uh, framework, you know, I thought that was great because you can't afford Manhattan when you're a startup. Right. You know, you either have to bunk, bunk with a friend or, you know find a desk at a law office where they have an extra. I mean, that, that was how it was before we work. So I'm hoping they stick around because I think that concept still is a fabulous concept that allows you to go and do what you have to do. And you have a place to kind of meet or at least park for the day. If you're in the city for the day, 
you know, it's that kind of concept that I think is a fabulous way to go. Larger companies don't necessarily have the ability to do that very quickly, mm -hmm. especially if they have a 10 or 20 year lease on a half a building, you know, and you tell all your people, hey, don't come to the office. But now you're paying for that building. Right. You know, you're paying for those floors. So you have no way of getting out of that unless your landlord is really feeling like, you know, a, a you know, like it's gift season. Well, I was going to ask you, is there any way you can renegotiate you. a lease? Is that possible? Or um, They have absolutely done it. Because of the pandemic, I know that there's been a lot of conversation among companies that, you know, they do go back to the landlord and say, we can't do this. Can we work something out? And I think a lot of landlords had to come to the table, whether they wanted to or not. I think they had to say, I know this is the business I'm in, but what do I do if he doesn't come back? Right. You know, what, what happens if I have 20 floors in an office building that go vacant, mm -hmm. you know, vacancy rates can determine your building's value. I mean, I think real estate values generally run off of what your NOI is. So if you're not taking rent in, your NOI goes through the floor and then your valuation is trouble. So, right. Um, and then and see for those who might not be familiar along. with NOI, what is NOI? Net operating income. Sorry. I do that every single Thank time. You. <laughs> throw out the acronym. Thank I'm you here for you, man. I'm here for you. I'll call you on the acronyms. <laughs> your net operating cost, your, your your rental income minus your net operating costs bring you down to NOI, net operating income. And generally, when you go to somebody to do evaluation on your building, when you're dealing with big commercial real estate, you're not looking at, you know, uh, well, gee, let's see what my EBITDA is. No, they look at your NOI on that one and they look at a different way and they look at what's the multiple based on the valuations of um of your uh, your operating expenses basically comes down to you know whether or not that building is is worth a certain amount how you can refinance it so it's it's a lot of extra kind of back background scene that I know anybody that I know that it's in real estate they're really focused on that um, uh, on that that factor or that that statistic. A little bit of a tangent here, but I, I think it's still worth bringing up. Um, what are you seeing as far as when lease or when uh, not mortgages, but basically your commercial real estate investments come due? I know one of the things that we've been talking about here in the Midwest with a lot of these commercial projects is, you know, they're five, seven years out now, which typically is the time when people go in and refinance them or have to refinance mm -hmm. them because they're hitting that balloon payment on their loan. And of course, yep. you know, money was much cheaper five years ago than it is today. So some of these projects are not profitable once you start going up to seven, eight percent interest where you were probably at three to four before yep. that. Yeah. Um, seeing the same thing, seeing the same thing here. It's much more difficult. And the bigger players, you can see that they already anticipate issues mm -hmm. and they've already gone into... Um, because of that valuation formula, you know, they're looking to do anything they can to keep that net operating income up um, just to be able to refinance, let alone the fact that there's, like you said, a higher interest rate, a higher interest factor now. So um, I have some people that I work with that do high end, you know, uh, renovations for uh, for office buildings. So they'll come in for a tenant and they'll basically redo a whole office. Mm. And they said it's gone through the floor. 
the the number of projects that they had before and the number of the projects they're getting now, it's completely a different market. Um, so New York, New Jersey, Connecticut out this way, you know, that's what we're seeing. We're seeing that everything's just kind of slowed down because if they don't spend the money, that NOI gets supported that little bit more. Right. So they're not giving their much as far as, you know, renovation projects, repairs and maintenance, you know, they're keeping those costs as low as they can. Yep. And we will definitely see that move into the Midwest. And I think for some people who may be looking at real estate or property in the near future, if it is something where you are growing and need more space, this might be a good opportunity coming up in the next 12 to 24 months, either to renegotiate your lease or possibly uh, acquire more property just due to the valuations. Yep. Yep. Now, the other side yeah, of this, if you want to stand the interest, <laughs> yeah, that's well, that's the key. Otherwise, you get investors <clears throat> and find a different way to take a swing at it. Um, you know, the other side of this, yeah. though, that I, I wanted to bring up before we kind of move more to the people side of things is, uh, you know, what when it's looking at virtual office, there's still other costs involved. There's technology. Typically, you know, if you're working from home, somebody needs a computer, right? Um, depending mm -hmm. upon what type of business you're in, you might need a secure network. You might need a server. You might need some other stuff uh, to handle that work from home type situation, especially if you're working with privacy issues, you know, any sort of uh, confidential data that you don't want somebody, you know, when they're at home surfing on computer, checking Facebook or the internet or something and pick up a bug. And now all of a sudden you've compromised all your private information. What are you seeing as the cost that that differentiates between work in the office versus work at home? Well, unfortunately, I think I, well, maybe it's fortunate. I, <laughs> uh, I, in my experience, I saw a lot of people that were already somewhat set up. Um, so whether they were in the office or out of the office, the sort of businesses that needed the VPN already had it, like the virtual mm -hmm. private network. You know, so they already had connections that were set up so that whether they were in the office or out of the office, the security feature was already there. And most of them were already working on some degree of a laptop, even if they went into the office and put it into a docking station or plugged it into the, you know, the Ethernet cable. Sure. The, um, you know, they were already connected through the security protocols that were mandated by the company. So smaller companies and whatever industry they were in, some of them, you know, it wasn't maybe as prevalent, but again, mm -hmm. they were still, um, you know, they still had security features on a laptop and were carrying that with them. And for the most part, if everybody had already got tops, um, I didn't see a lot of structural changes that required a lot. I mean, obviously we were talking about Zoom at the beginning of the conversation and talking about how, you know, they are calling people back to the office, but, you know, Zoom was a big thing for everybody to have their meetings virtually. Um, right. And so, you know, other than software licenses for everybody to have Zoom, I didn't see a lot of hardware expense. I think a mm. lot of people already had hardware integrated into their day to day life. So the fact that they were now working from home, the hardware component was already there. It was just True. a matter of, OK, True. we have to get you we have to get you moving on some software or we have to increase security. But. You know, that I think is minimal as opposed to buying, you know, a full-blown Mac or, or even a full-blown, you know, PC. Right. Well, I think even, you know, your iPhone, your Android, you know, whatever you're using as a phone, um, 
world's changed a lot. I mean, I, I still remember the BlackBerry days when it was pretty cool that you yeah. could get email and keep track of your calendar on one device and didn't need your Palm Pilot or whatever else. Now we're really yeah. dating ourselves here. Uh, I but, love my BlackBerry. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I did too at the time, but the iPhone yeah. turned out to be a little bit better. Um, yeah. You have so much power in the palm of your hand when it comes to to being able to be fully accessible. And I think that's... Mm -hmm. People don't realize it, but we have, like, you had some great insight there. We have been virtual for actually a long time. We just did it in a dual role where we went into the office five days a week. And then when we went home, we still got emails. We still got phone calls. We still got uh, meeting requests and all that stuff. And, yep. you know, that's been around for almost what, 10 years now. Uh, yeah. Zoom was probably the biggest new thing. I, I was already on Zoom at the time, but I know there were a lot of people that didn't even know what Zoom was in 2019. And then all of a sudden, it, it's kind of like Google. It became its own term uh, by the end of 2021, 2022. Uh, so, yeah, there, you're right. There it wasn't a lot of adjustment, and I didn't really think about that. But, yeah, we've already been doing a lot of this stuff for, for yeah. quite some time. Uh, yeah. So that leads into... Well, then why didn't this work? Because if we've already been working from home to some degree, uh, we've already been doing all this stuff. We should have just been able to flip a switch on and, and you know, stay home. But that's not the case here, is it? Um, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not seeing that it's the case. I think, I think to a certain um, think I think to a certain certain extent, it's a control factor. Um, and I think there is a executive control factor of knowing that people are there, knowing that people can be reached, you know where they're at, you know what they're doing. Um, but for me, I'm kind of against that. I think to a certain extent, if I can't trust the employees that I have to do what they're supposed to do, whether they're home or in the office, or, you know, if they're not going to pick up the phone, if I have to reach them on something that's, that's important, you know, now that you have not only the phone, you have text, you have email, right. everybody's got these things. 99% of people have them in their phone, like we were just talking about. So if I can't get them, then I seem to have a problem with one employee. I don't see why I have a problem with all the employees and I have to mandate a factor for the whole office. You know, I'm looking at it as, you know, I need you to get these things done. These are the tasks you know, maybe we have to find a better way to lay it out for employees that say, you know, here's how it's going to be done. And I'm sure somebody can chime in here and probably say, you know, we already do that. Um, <laughs> and that's great. I'm happy to hear that. Right. Because I think that's the way to go. I mean, build on what Pricewaterhouse or at least what I saw at Pricewaterhouse 20 plus years ago, you know, evolve into what's going on now. And are we really talking about everyone? Because I think, you know, Founding companies, smaller companies are all embracing the foundational, you know, or the, the fractional economy, you know, bringing in people that are here for a little bit of time to do the job I need, but not sitting around at the office saying, what do I do next? You know, right. I think, but so see, I think th there's that a, there's I think a, is right where the problem lies um, and why people want their employees back in the office. I, I agree with you on everything there. And the biggest issue that most employers have is when the employees at home, they don't know what they're doing or how much they're doing or how productive they are. And that to me is why there's this draw to bring people back in, 
in the office. The one thing I will disagree with you on is it's very hard to create a workplace culture when everyone is working remotely. And you're right. We, we are kind of a gig economy now. We, we don't automatically fill every position. We might go out and find somebody to fill a task or fill a project. Then when that project's done, you know, they go away, they find something else to do. Uh, but you still need employees that are there full time that are productive. And when they're working from home, you know, I know there's some companies and I've had people tell me, oh, yes, you can do this and, and you can create a culture and ha have people work remote. I just don't see it. It's we are social by nature. We are social beings. And if all you're doing is working from your home office, you're pretty well isolated from everything else. And I think that in my opinion, that's where communication starts to fail, where, um, you know, where where we did see the wheels fall off the bus when we did all go virtual, when everyone had the pretty much had the tools in front of them, but they still couldn't make it work. And it was because we as a society are not structured to work in isolation. And, you know, I, I don't have any articles here on that, but I do know uh, I've seen stories or, or studies where depression has gone up, anxiety has gone up. Certain people that, uh, you know, there are certain employees that definitely want to work from home. There are also others that were demanding to go back to the office themselves because yep. they just couldn't handle yep. that isolation. And, you know, that kind of gets into where I think the wheels fell off the bus here because I, I can't remember if you mentioned it earlier or not, but, you know, people were, were also doing side jobs. So you have an employee you're paying for 40 hours a week to do work for you, but now they're doing work for somebody else and still collecting 40 hours a week from you. That to me doesn't right. seem fair because you're making a commitment no. to employer, that employer is making a commitment to you, but now you're using some of your time that you're already being compensated for to do work for somebody else. And that's a, that's a pretty hard adjustment when, and to me, that's really what probably pushed most of these companies to start bringing people back. A, they don't have clear expectations of employee. They don't understand what productivity is, especially in office jobs. Less true in, in manufacturing, but the manufacturing people never never went home. <laughs> you know, they, they had to come no, back to the factories no, no matter what. Uh, it was pretty much all the office no. staff that, that got the privilege to work from home and, and kind of do things how they wanted to. Uh, the other side of the coin, and this is where it gets difficult, is, is I do agree with you. If somebody's being productive and they're producing, I don't care if they're doing it at midnight. I don't care if they're doing it at 5 a.m. I don't care if they're doing it at noon. Yeah. And if they've got doctor's appointments or they want to take their kids to the park or whatever, as long as the work's getting done and it's not affecting other people, go ahead, do what you want. Um, yeah. But I don't know if... Well, I think it was... Yeah, go ahead. No, I think it was interesting that I did read one article that was talking about, you know, that and one of the, the high levels executives had kind of said, we see the benefit of the people being happy that mm -hmm. they were home. And they said the only thing that they did was they found a way to try to, again, a hybrid method, which is, you know, I'm not against people working from home. I'm not against people going into the office, especially I agree with you on the culture, because I think culture is 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 getting smacked with you know with all of the people being out on, on their own you know there is yes. no connection and it really does have a social aspect to it that becomes difficult on people and i think 
people would be a little happier if there were some more face to faces as opposed to, you know, me staring at my Mac, you know? Um, and I, I think the thing that I read about them was they decided that they weren't going to mandate it back to the office, but what they did mandate was there has to be a certain number of get togethers where the people did actually still get together. And I think the one company I had read, I'm not even sure it was in the office. I think it was an offsite, but everybody was like everybody on a team would go to this offsite and meet that way. It was social. It was culture. It was task oriented. It became more about, you know, this is why we do what we do. Maybe a little more than here, do what I say, but a little more of this is why our department needs to work together. And when you're on a Zoom, think about what we did here because make the Zoom more of the social. Like, right. Because the rest of the week you're on Zoom, even if it means once or twice a week, you have to find a way to do an offsite. At least at that point, you know, you get the benefits of what the people need besides instruction. Yep. And I do believe leaders need to be taught differently. Um, this is a new world that you're leading in. You have to really look at defining what productivity is. And it, it's hard to do from an office worker's perspective. Like I said, in a factory is how many widgets you hammer out. And for an employee is yep. how many widgets pass in front of them that complete whatever tasks they're doing and go on to the next, next person or next machine. Um, when you're in an office situation as sales or as it's project management or as marketing or something like that, uh, you can only measure the end result. Now, you might say, well, isn't that enough? Well, yes and no, because the end result without a definitive timeline can stretch out weeks, maybe even months. And if you're expecting somebody to be productive and and you know, working for you, you really need to find a way to make sure that productivity is measured on, you know, at least a weekly basis and, and then doing follow-up. Because if people do have idle time, they're going to say, well, I don't know what to do next. So I'm, I might as well go find something else to do. And if somebody else will pay me to do that, then I can get my work done here. My boss is happy. And then I can do this other project and I'll make more money and, and there'll be none the wiser. Mm -hmm. But that makes it more difficult yeah. because now you're splitting up your time. And what happens if that second job now requires more time of you? And now you got to cut into more of what the first job is is providing. Right. Uh, that to me is is where really being very clear um, and coaching people as leaders, we need to do a better job coaching people less less meetings and less just doing because that's what I tend to see most most bosses do is is they are very hands on or they get involved. Um, or they're completely hands off and they never follow up and never communicate to their staff. And, and then things run amok either way. Uh, so that's really where leadership styles need to change to where there, there's regular communication happening. There's accountability, there's follow up, uh, but there's autonomy for that employee. But that employee also understands here's the tasks that are required of you and the timeline that they're required in. Because I'm pretty sure we could probably tighten up some timelines and get more productivity if we are much clearer on what's expected by when. Right. I understand that. I agree. Um, you know, and, and that again, I just to, you know, support your point, you know, that's really hard to do. <laughs> I, and I'm acknowledging the fact that it's really hard to do. I mean, I, you know, I worked on 
in accounting firms for years. And what one of the things I didn't like about that was, you know, their understanding of how to increase productivity or how to understand what people were doing was to, you know, put time, almost uh, stopwatches on the computers. <laughs> so if you were sitting at your computer and you logged in, then you were working. So, you know, that didn't tell me anything because I could log into that computer, go sit in the break room for eight hours. Yep. And or come back you, every I'm five minutes in, and move so. the mouse around just to keep the computer from falling exactly, asleep. Just to keep it going. <laughs> so, I mean, these are not the brightest ideas, I don't think. They're not. I mean, they still sell them. They still sell the top right. stopwatches and stuff. And I'm like, I hope nobody's using that because you can't tell me that people are happy sitting at their computer. They get one phone call and they're off, you know they're off their chart and that's how you're judging whether or not they're a good employee or not. You know, it doesn't matter. They took the phone call and saved somebody $50 million in taxes. I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? It just becomes that that's not really the way I would want to see it run. So that's where right. I kind of push back on people who tell me that everybody has to be back in the office. I think it'll right. stop lunch. I'm like, <laughs> that's not a, that, you know, that just beats up on what I would argue for culture. Because I don't yeah. want and I wouldn't to want an accountant doing a doing a stopwatch on my tax return because <laughs> he may miss something one way or the other. It may work in my benefit now, but then cause an audit later or other way. It might he might miss something that should be deducted. And now it isn't. And I'm paying more in taxes. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you definitely don't want people just specifically measured by time. But I, I do think throughput and and being realistic about what that throughput is is a good way to kind of track it you should know uh for example i I am sure you know from accounting side of things because i know you've done tax accounting you know how long processing a a tax return takes and you know based on the size of the company number of employees probably that you know something like a one person shop is going to take this much time versus a you know, a, a hundred employee factory that's got, you know, two locations might take, take more time to work through. Um, yeah. I think there's ways that we can measure that, whether it's in sales or whether that it's in just general administrative or, or different, you know, office tasks. Uh, you don't want to be too strict, but at the same point, you should be putting rough requirements of, of what should be completed by when. And, and this is really where project management comes in, which, again, most companies really struggle with is figuring out how to manage workflow through through their office because there's a lot of people that are busy, but they're not productive. And you really have to look at things from a productivity standpoint and figure out how to make that happen versus just saying, well, Bob's always at his desk. He always seems to be working on something. And it's like, well, yeah, but what is Bob doing? Is Bob really being productive or is he sitting there, you know, surfing through Amazon, buying stuff when he should be working on something else. So as we're kind of wrapping this up, as, as I pointed out, we're going to finish this with kind of our take on things. Uh, I'll, I'll take my turn and go first this time. Uh, I think coming back to the office part-time or at least, you know, on a, on a hybrid system is really the way to go. And when it comes down to it, doesn't matter what your environment is, you really need to teach leaders to be better leaders and focus on things like communication, expectations, accountability. Uh, They need to be coaching their people, not doing tasks. They need to minimize the number of non-productive meetings that they have. 
Because I think that's another thing that got carried away with the Zoom environment is, is a lot of people had Zoom meetings, but they didn't necessarily have to be on those Zoom meetings. And I saw that when I was in the office world that I was scheduled for a lot of meetings throughout the day. 80% of those meetings had virtually nothing to do with me, or at least there was nothing I had to give input on the time I was there. So there's got to be ways to do that yeah. better. And there are more productive ways to, to produce meetings. Um, but ultimately, if you want to build a successful culture, you do need to get people together. It, warm bodies in a single space. You can't just have everything online. And I do believe that this move is good, that if you're going back to the office, most people are going to enjoy that more than working from home. At the other side of it, though, you have to be paying employee fair wages. We're going to have to work out things with with daycare and whatnot. And as as an employer, you're just going to have to look at the needs of the employee and, and figure out ways to work around uh, maybe a more flexible schedule. Some cases that's easy, other cases that's not. What's your take on it, Rich? Uh, I definitely agree with you. I, um, I do see the benefits, especially for culture, to have people getting together. Um, I don't think that some of the ways that I've read it where it just became mandated, I'm not thinking that's going to be a very good thing <laughs> for anyone. Um, I think that the hybrid method of bringing people back into you know, the, con the company that you want to recognize, I think it makes sense to go down that hybrid road. And by the hybrid road, I add to that, that analyze exactly how your business works. You're the only one who knows how that business should work and how you envision what you want it to be. So especially in a, in a company that's run by a, a CEO or a single founder, you know, define what it is that you want the company to look like, what you want the workflow to look like, understand what works, and then translate that to your employees. This is why it has to be. This is why it has to go this way. I will try to work with you so that we get the best of both worlds. However, it has to go this way because, you know, the end result only works if we get to, you know, some degree of working together in person. So you're going to find that some businesses can do it. They can do everything virtual and it's all great, but there's a lot of businesses that really can't and they're still suffering and the actual penalties haven't come out yet. I think that the penalties will, you know, some, sometimes it takes longer for things like that to kind of come through and show itself that this was a problem for that particular company. So I'm hoping that people take the time to actually sit down and say, the hybrid method will work if we do X and communicate that. You know, the biggest piece of this is the communication down to the people that you want to actually do it and why you're asking them to do it. Exactly. I also think from the virtual side of things or the hybrid side of things, one thing you definitely need to look at is, is there a time when everyone needs to be in the office? Because right now, I think what they're doing is saying, well, you have to be in the office two days a week, for example, but you can pick the two days a week you want to be in the office. Well, that works if you're kind of solo on, on projects and stuff like that. But what if you're working with somebody else and they choose to be in the office on Thursday and you're choosing to be there on Tuesday? So we're going to have to figure out what's the blend. So it's not just hybrid between work from home and work in the office. It's also going to be hybrid between work in the office when you want and work in the office when you need. And I, I think mm -hmm. that's 
probably going to be the biggest challenge for a lot of companies to figure out is logistics between how to keep people productive and working from home and working in the office and, and managing all that functionality. And this is our what's pretty much the end of our episode for Books uh, and the Biz. And we are checking out today. But before we do that, Rich, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, best way to reach me is by email rveltry at veltrygroup.com. All right. You, Dan? You can get a hold of me at danpaulsonletsgo.com. You'll find a form to fill out. Feel free to reach out, set up an appointment. Be happy to talk with you. Uh, you should also be sure if you're watching us on YouTube, like, subscribe, click the notifications. If you're watching us on other sort of format, uh, come to YouTube or find our podcast, Books in the Biz. And we would love to have you listen to some other episodes that we've got coming up and also some episodes that we've already recorded. Believe it or not, Rich, we're almost 10 in. So we've been uh, we've been wow. doing this for a couple months now, and it seems to be working for the most part. Nice. <laughs> seems to be good. We're figuring I love it these out. conversations. We're figuring it out. So this <laughs> has been Books in the Biz. We will be sure to talk to you next week. Thank you and take care. All right. See you.